Welcome, A-Peers, to the Timberlane Regional High School AP World History Podcast. This is Chapter 1, Part 2, where we'll be looking at three of the four early River Valley civilizations, Mesopotamia, Egypt, and the Indus River Valley. Mesopotamia is the story of settled agriculture in an unstable landscape. Mesopotamia is the alluvial plain area alongside and between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. The area is a difficult environment for agriculture because there is little rainfall, the rivers flood at the wrong time for grain agriculture, and the rivers change course unpredictably. Although the first domestication of plants and animals around 8000 BCE occurred nearby in the so-called Fertile Crescent region of northern Syria and southeastern Anatolia, agriculture did not reach Mesopotamia until approximately 5000 BCE. The hot, arid climate of southern Mesopotamia calls for irrigation, the artificial provision of water to crops. Just after 3000 BCE, people began constructing irrigation canals to bring water to fields further away from the rivers. By 4000 BCE, farmers were using ox-drawn plows and a sort of planter to cultivate barley. Other crops and natural resources of the area included date palms, vegetables, reeds, and fish, and fallow land for grazing goats and sheep. Draft animals included cattle and donkeys, and later, around the 2nd millennium BCE, camels and horses. The area has no significant wood, stone, or metal resources. The earliest people of Mesopotamia and the initial creators of Mesopotamian culture were the Sumerians, who were present at least as early as 5000 BCE. They created the framework of civilization in Mesopotamia during a long period of dominance in the 3rd millennium BCE. Other peoples lived in Mesopotamia as well. As early as 2900 BCE, personal names recorded in inscriptions from the more northerly cities revealed a non-Sumerian Semitic language. By 2000 BCE, the Sumerians were supplanted by Semitic-speaking peoples who dominated and intermarried with the Sumerians, but preserved many elements of Sumerian culture. Early Mesopotamian society was a society of villages and cities linked together in a system of mutual interdependence. Cities depended on villages to produce surplus food to feed the non-producing urban elite and craftspeople. In return, the cities provided the villages with military protection, markets, and specialist produced goods. Together, a city and its agricultural hinterland formed what we call a city-state. The Mesopotamian city-states sometimes fought with each other over resources like water and land. At other times, city-states cooperated with each other in sharing resources and allowing traders safe passage through their territories. City-states could mobilize human resources to open new agricultural land and build and maintain irrigation systems. Construction of irrigation systems required the organization of large numbers of people for labor. Although we know little of the political institutions of Mesopotamian city-states, we do have written and archaeological records of two centers of power, temples and palaces. One or more temples, centrally located, housed each city-state's deity or deities, 
and their associated cults, or sets of religious rituals. Temples owned agricultural lands and stored the gifts that worshippers donated. Head priests, who controlled each shrine and managed its wealth, played prominent political and economic roles. Secular leadership developed in the 3rd millennium BCE when big men, Lugal, who may have originally been leaders of armies, emerged as secular leaders. Although the Lugal's position was not hereditary, it often passed from father to a capable son. The location of the temple in the city's heart and the less prominent site of the king's palace symbolized their later emergence of royalty. The king's power grew at the expense of the priesthood, however, because the army backed him. The priests and temples retained influence because of their wealth and religious mystique, but they gradually became dependent on the palace. Some Mesopotamian kings claimed divinity, but this concept did not take root. Normally, the king portrayed himself as the deity's earthly representative. By the late 3rd millennium BCE, kings assumed responsibility for the upkeep and building of temples, and the proper performance of ritual. Other royal responsibilities included maintaining city walls and defenses, extending and repairing irrigation channels, guarding property rights, warding off foreign attacks, and establishing justice. Eventually, some of the city-states became powerful enough to absorb others, and thus create larger territorial states. Two examples of this development are the Akkadian state, founded by Sargon of Akkad around 2350 BCE, and the third dynasty of Ur, which reigned from 2112 to 2004 BCE. A third territorial state was established by Hammurabi and is known to historians as the Old Babylonian State. Hammurabi is no also known for the law code associated with his name, which provides us with a source of information about Old Babylonian law, punishments, and society. The states of Mesopotamia needed resources to and to obtain them not only by territorial expansion, but also through a flourishing long-distance trade. Merchants were originally employed by temples or palaces. Later in the second millennium BCE, private merchants emerged. Trade was carried out through barter because coins did not reach Mesopotamia until several centuries after their first appearance during the 6th century BCE. Items that could not be bartered had their value calculated in relation to fixed weights of precious metal, primarily silver, or measures of grain. Mesopotamia had a stratified society in which kings and priests controlled much of the wealth. The law code of Hammurabi identified three classes of Mesopotamian society. The free land-holding class, dependent farmers and artisans, and slaves. Slavery was not a fundamental part of the economy, and most slaves were prisoners of war. Penalties prescribed in the law code depended on the class of the offender. The lower orders received the most severe punishments. Some scholars believe that the development of agriculture brought about a decline in the status of women because men did the value-producing work of plowing, harvesting, and digging irrigation channels. Bearing and raising children became the primary occupation of many women, leaving them little time to acquire the specialized skills of a scribe or artisan. Women were able to own property, control their dowry, and engage in trade, but men monopolized political life. The rise of an urban merchant class in the 2nd millennium BCE appears to have been accomplished 
by greater emphasis on male privilege and an attendant decline in women's status. The religion of Mesopotamia was an amalgamation of Sumerian and later Semitic beliefs and deities. Mesopotamian deities were anthropomorphic, and each city had its own tutelary gods. Nippur was regarded as a religious center because of its temple to the air god Enlil. As other temples, the people of Sumer considered it the god's residence, and believed the cult statue in its interior shrine embodied his life force. Humans were regarded as servants of the gods. In temples, a complex, specialized, hereditary priesthood served the gods as a servant serves a master. The temples themselves were walled compounds containing religions and functional buildings. The most visible part of the temple compound was its ziggurat. We have little knowledge of the beliefs and religious practices of common people. The survival of many amulets and representations of a host of demons suggests widespread belief in magic and in the use of magic to influence the gods. The term technology comes from the Greek word techne, meaning skill or specialized knowledge. It normally refers to the tools and processes by which humans manipulate the physical world. However, many scholars also use it more broadly for any specialized knowledge used to transform the natural environment like and human society. Thus defined, the concept of technology includes not only things like irrigation systems, but also non-material specialized knowledge such as religious lore, and ceremony, and writing systems. Writing first appeared in Mesopotamia before 3300 BCE. The most plausible current theory maintains that writing originated from a system of tokens used to keep track of property. The usual method of writing involved pressing the point of a sharpened reed into a moist clay tablet. Because the reed made wedge-shaped impressions, the early pictures evolved into stylized combinations of strokes and wedges, a system known as cuneiform writing. Mastering cuneiform required years of practice. Cuneiform was originally developed to write Sumerian, but was later used to write Akkadian and Semitic and non-Semitic languages. Cuneiform was used to write economic, political, legal, literary, religious, and scientific texts. Other technologies developed by the Mesopotamians include irrigation, transportation, such as boats, barges, and the use of donkeys, bronze metallurgy, brick-making, and engineering. Military technology employed in Mesopotamia included paid full-time soldiers, horses, a horse-drawn chariot, the bow and arrow, and siege machinery. Mesopotamians also used numbers, a base of 60 system, and made advances in mathematics and astronomy. which was home to the vast majority of the Egyptian population. 
Egypt was traditionally divided into two areas, Upper Egypt along the southern part of the Nile, as far south as the first cataract, and Lower Egypt, the northern delta area. The climate was good for agriculture, but with little or no rainfall, farmers had to depend on the river for irrigation. Though rain rarely falls south of the delta, the river provided water to irrigation channels that carried water out into the valley and increased the area suitable for planting. The Nile floods regularly, and at the right time of year, leaving a rich and easily worked deposit of silt, where farmers could easily plant their crops in the moist soil. Egyptian agriculture depended upon the floods, and crops could be adversely affected if the floods were too high or not high enough. Generally speaking, however, the floods were regular, and this inspired the Egyptians to view the universe as an orderly and beneficent place. Egypt's other natural resources included reeds, such as papyrus for writing, wild animals, birds and fish, plentiful building stone and clay, and access to copper and turquoise from the desert and gold from Nubia. Egypt's political organization evolved from a pattern of small states ruled by local kings to the emergence of a large, unified Egyptian state around 3100 BCE. Historians organize Egyptian history into a series of 30 dynasties, falling into three longer periods, the Old, Middle, and New Kingdoms, each a period of centralized political power and brilliant cultural achievement. These three periods were divided by intermediate periods of political fragmentation and chaos. Kings, known as pharaohs, dominated the Egyptian state. The pharaohs were regarded as gods on earth, whose benevolent rule ensured the welfare and prosperity of the people. The death of a pharaoh was thought to be the beginning of his journey back to the land of the gods. Funeral rites and proper preservation of the body were therefore of tremendous importance. Early pharaohs were buried in flat-topped rectangular tombs. Stepped pyramid tombs appeared around 2630 BCE, and smooth-sided pyramids a bit later. The Great Pyramid Tombs at Giza were constructed between 2550 and 2490 BCE. The Great Pyramids were constructed with stone tools and simple lever, pulley, and roller technology, and required substantial inputs of resources and labor. The age of the Great Pyramids lasted about a century, though construction of pyramids on a smaller scale continued on. Egypt was governed by a central administration in the capital city through a system of provincial and village bureaucracies. A complex bureaucracy kept detailed records of the country's resources. At the village, district, and central government levels, bureaucrats kept track of land, labor, products, and people, extracting as taxes as much as 50% of the annual revenues of the country. This income supported the palace, bureaucracy, and army, paid for building and maintaining temples, and made possible great monuments celebrating the king's grandeur. The ancient Egyptians developed two writing systems, hieroglyphics and a cursive script. Egyptians wrote on papyrus and used writing for religious and secular literature, as well as for record-keeping. Tensions between the centralizing power of the monarchy and the decentralizing tendencies of the bureaucracy are a constant feature of Egyptian political history. The breakdown of centralized power in the late Old Kingdom first intermediate period was signified by the shift of officials' tombs from the vicinity of the royal tomb to the home districts where they spent much of their time in exercised power and by inheritance of administrative posts. 
Egypt was more rural than Mesopotamia. It did have cities, but since they have not been excavated, we know little about the urban life in Egypt. Egypt regarded all foreigners as enemies, but its desert nomad neighbors posed no serious military threat. Egypt was generally more interested in acquiring resources than in acquiring territory. Resources could often be acquired through trade. Egypt traded directly with the Levant coast, modern Israel, Lebanon, and Syria, and Nubia, and indirectly with the land of Punt, probably part of modern Somalia. Items of trade included exports of papyrus, grain, and gold, and imports of incense, Nubian gold, Lebanese cedar, and tropical African ivory, ebony, and animals. Ancient Egypt had a population of about 1 to 1.5 million physically heterogeneous people, some dark-skinned and some lighter-skinned. The people were divided into several social strata, the king and high-ranking officials, lower-level officials, local leaders, priests, and other professionals, artisans, well-off farmers, and finally peasants. The majority of these people were peasants. Peasants lived in rural villages, cultivated the soil, maintained irrigation channels, and were responsible for paying taxes and providing low labor service. Slavery existed on a limited scale and was of little economic significance. Prisoners of wars, condemned criminals, and debtors could be found on country estates or in the households of the king and wealthy families. Paintings indicate that women were subordinate to men and engaged in domestic activities. Egyptian women could own property inherited from their parents and will their property to whomever they wished, and they retained rights over their own dowry after divorce. Evidence suggests that women in ancient Egypt enjoyed greater respect and more legal rights and social freedom than women in Mesopotamia. Egyptian religious beliefs were based on a cyclical view of nature. Two of the most significant gods, the sun god Ra and Osiris, god of the underworld, who was killed, dismembered, and then restored to life, represented renewal and life after death. The king, represented as Horus and the son of Ra, served as the chief priest. The supreme god of the Egyptian pantheon was generally the god of the city that was serving as the capital. Egyptian rulers zealously built new temples, refurbished old ones, and made lavish gifts to the gods. Thus, much of the country's wealth went for religious purposes in the ceaseless effort to win the gods' favor, maintaining the continuity of divine kingship, and ensure the renewal of life-giving forces. We know little about popular religious beliefs. What we do know indicates that the Egyptians generally believed in magic and in an afterlife. Concern with the afterlife inspired Egyptians to mummify their bodies of the dead before entombing them. Tombs contain pictures and samples of food and other necessities that thus are a valuable source of information about daily life in Egypt. Tombs are usually built at the edge of the desert to avoid wasting arable land. The amount and quality of tomb goods and the form of the tombs themselves reflect the wealth and social status of the deceased. The ancient Egyptians acquired much advanced te technology and knowledge. Knowledge of chemistry and anatomy was gained in the process of mummification. Other areas of scientific and technological advance include mathematics, astronomy, calendar making, irrigation, engineering and architecture, and transportation technology.
The central part of the Indus Valley area is the Sindh region of modern Pakistan. Adjacent related areas include the Hakra River, which is now dried up, the Punjab, Delhi, and the Indus Delta region. The Indus carries a lot of silt and floods regularly twice a year, which allowed farmers in the Indus Valley and related areas to produce two crops a year, despite the region's sparse rainfall. The Indus Valley civilization flourished from 2600 to 1900 BCE. The two largest and best-known urban sites are those at Harappa and Mohenjo-daro. Unfortunately, the high water table in these sites makes excavation of the earliest levels of settlement nearly impossible. Scholars once believed that the people who created this civilization spoke Dravidian languages related to those spoken today in southern India. The writing system of the Indus Valley people contained more than 400 signs and represented symbols and words. Archaeologists have recovered thousands of inscribed steel stones and copper tablets. The inscriptions are so brief, however, that no one has yet deciphered them, although some scholars believe they represent an early Dravidian language. The two major urban centers of the Indus Valley are Harappa, three and a half miles in circumference, population about 35,000, and Mohenjo-daro, several times larger. Some settlements are surrounded by brick walls, have streets laid out in a rectangular grid pattern, and are supplied with covered drainage systems to carry away waste. There remains something like a citadel that may have been a center of authority, structures that may have been storehouses for grain, and barracks that may have been for artisans. Both urban centers have control surrounding farmland, Harappa was located on the frontier between agricultural land and pastoral economies and may have been a nexus of trade in copper, tin, and precious stones from the northwest. The Indus Valley civilization is characterized by a high degree of standardization of styles and shapes between the smallest settlements and the large cities. Some scholars have sought to explain this uniformity by hypothesizing the existence of an authoritarian central government, while others argue that it may have been a result of extensive trade within the region. The people of the Indus Valley had better access to metal than did Egyptians and the Mesopotamians. Thus, the Indus Valley artisans used metal to create utilitarian goods as well as luxury items. Technological achievements of the Indus Valley civilization include extensive irrigation systems, the potter's wheel, kiln-baked bricks, and a sophisticated bronze metallurgy. The people of the Indus Valley carried out an extensive trade with the northwestern mountain areas, Iran and Afghanistan, western India, and even Mesopotamia. We know little about the political, economic, social, and religious structures of the Indus Valley, nor do we know what historical circumstances circumstances led to the development of a sophisticated urban civilization. Part of the problem is that although they had a writing system, modern scholars are unable to decipher it. Scholars formally believe that the Indus Valley cities were abandoned sometime after 1900 BCE because of an invasion. Further evidence has convinced researchers that the decline of the Indus Valley civilizations was due to a breakdown caused by natural disasters and ecological change. Ecological change that probably led to a decline in agricultural production and the eventual collapse of the Indus Valley civilizations include the drying up of the Hakra River, salinization, and erosion. While urban centers collapsed, so did the way of life of the elite, but the peasants probably adapted and survived.
That concludes our look at Chapter 1, From the Origins of Agriculture to the First River Valley Civilizations, 8000 to 1500 BCE. In the next podcast, we're going to look at Chapter 2, New Civilizations in the Eastern and Western Hemisphere, 2200 to 250 BCE, where we'll look at the fourth of the early river valley civilizations, China. <laughs>